Canadians and Sandies pacification and placements are active and tracking at this station. Welcome to the Orbital Sword. Please follow me to the reading room. Three, two, one, engage. Welcome aboard the Orbital Sword. I'm David Moulton. I'm Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And on this episode, we're discussing Inheritance, or The Vault of Souls, by Christopher Paolini. Paolini. I just like Paolini. saying that. Yeah. You know we do this every time we start <laughs> another Paolini book. It's, it's almost like it's like, a, oh, hey, Paolini. You know, like, yeah. just a compliment. Yeah, wow. Well, you, you, <laughs> I belted yeah, that one. Yeah, you did belt that one. Uh, I heard, I heard that wig out. So my you know, Italian. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I can't hear myself. You can't hear yourself. No. Yeah, you should turn up the volume. Yeah, pump up the jam. So, um, yeah. So this book concludes uh, the inheritance cycle thus far. Now he does discuss that after reading, um, or after writing some science fiction, he's going to go on to write potentially more books. The fifth book. In but, this it won't, but it won't. But it won't. Yeah, it'll be in the universe, not in this series. Right. Yeah. yeah. It'll be a new. A new thing i know jim's chomping at the bit yeah jim 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 basically said before the show and i know you listeners aren't going to hear this he said i absolutely cannot wait till paolini's science fiction book comes out and starts a whole new series that we can do right he said as long as as long as as long as they're about 600 pages long or more yeah yeah or more yeah yeah, definitely more yeah Yeah. (laughs) So, funny uh, guys, the, um, funny guy. <laughs> the story. <laughs> uh, we we conclude the journey of Aragon to um, take on the big bad, which the big is baddie. Uh, Sh- Shuriken, the dragon, and Galbatorix. Shuriken, Shuriken, and Galbatorix, along with uh, Murtag and Thorn. Um, we see a, a lot. Really, everything just comes to head here, and it's it's it's. Uh, this book's really about dragon love, though. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get into it, but it's definitely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's we're gonna get into it. It's it's hard to give a summary for this book without just like really getting into it. If you've read the other books, which you obviously need to in order to do this one, um, you know it, it, it's it's a satisfying ending. So good. All right, let's uh, let's keep moving. Uh, did, anything you think I need to add there? No, no, that's a good summary. Um, yeah. Yeah. Jim, Jim wants to give a chapter for chapter summary, though, of it. Yeah. Go ahead, Jim. Word by word. Word by word. He's going to recite yeah. it. He's going to recite it in Gaelic tonight. Go ahead. <laughs> not, not today. Not, not today. Not today. Oh, okay. Right. So, but maybe tomorrow. Maybe we call tomorrow. Him right okay. Yeah, he, perhaps. He's going to do it. He's going to recite it in Gaelic while playing the lute. Oh. Simultaneous. Simultaneously. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's a concert yeah, I would pay to see. I would pay to see it. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll get, I'll get right on that. You, you do that. You got to okay, compose it. But what do you need? Uh, we'll just you hear the next segment. Mine's what's my, what's the next segment? Uh, overall impressions. Oh, thoughts. overall. So, oh, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what was your overall impression of the book, David? Let's start with you. You want to start with Jim? Let's not. He's a Debbie Downer. Let's go okay. with you, Jim. All right. So, uh, <laughs> okay. So, we'll so, start with me. So you you read this book way before and you came back to it. Mm-hmm. 
Was it like coming back to like a long lost friend? How do you feel about this book coming through it a second time? I just with the same with the other ones. I really enjoyed a second read of this book. I don't know where my head was the first time around with these. I don't know if because they were new or where I was in my life or whatever. But like I remember heavy plot points and um, like not a lot of the subtle stuff. And so it was almost like a new story to me. Like I, I knew what things kind of eventually happened, but uh, I, there were total, total things that I, I completely forgot. You know, some of the the like the, the whole master language thing. Like I knew that there was some sort of MacGuffin, but I, I totally forgot what it was. So that was kind of fun to rediscover. Um, just things like that, like uh, the Murtag and Nasawada's love story. Like I, I, I totally forgot that that happened. Um, so I really enjoyed this book. I, I had a, a very good time rereading it. It didn't feel boring or you know overtreaded or anything like that for me. Um, so I, I enjoyed it. Oh, very good, Jim. How about you? How did you? You know, so we took a little bit of break. We did the first three books and did Thrawn. And they came back to this series. Uh, this was your first time reading it, and I, as I recall, you you liked the other books. How did this book? How how did you feel about this book? Impressions of it? Well, don't uh, get me wrong, but I I I did enjoy the book. Um, it just was it just to me it just seemed very long, and there seemed to be a lot of things in there that that um weren't weren't really necessary and actually there were some threads that were that were not finished up and the 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 overall thing though that really bothered me about this is after reading uh 2400 pages in the in the previous 3 books in nearly 800 pages in this book, and the way that Galbatorix went out, after all this stuff, I re I was furious. <laughs> oh, okay. We will have I to, mean, we will have to, I, we will have to I expected, I expected an epic battle at the end of this thing, and Galbatorix just basically goes, he he gets he he gets mad and goes poof. Yeah. Well, we can talk about how we and, feel about that here yeah. in a little bit. Well, I mean, yeah. 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 So we'll get to that in the plot point, because I think that's an interesting discussion, mm -hmm. plot point of discussion. Yeah. For me, so I read, so when we finished the third book, I'm like, I'm not waiting for us to do this in the podcast. I went and right in and read the fourth book, and then read Thrawn, and then came back and reread Inheritance again. Mm -hmm. So I read it twice in the course of about two or three months. Um, and... I really enjoyed it the second time. You asked me were there any parts that I skipped earlier on when David was over for dinner and we were just chatting. And and I said the only parts that I skipped were the parts where the gruesomeness got too much for me. Like when Arya's like yanking her hand out of the chain. I'm like, oh, gross. Oh, you know, and I'm kind of shying away. And there was another part where they kind of talked about it, uh, some gruesomeness. And I was kind of like, oh, the burrow grubs. Mm. When that Swata... And Galvatore releases, and they're like into her skin. I'm like, oh, I don't need to listen to that. Skip forward. But those were the only two scenes I skipped. And it wasn't because of content. It was because I just 
didn't need to hear that in my life again. You know, I was telling no. my stu- I, I, I think sometimes when I read the book the first time, I was running a lot, and I was outside, and I would be like cursing at the top of my lungs when I came to these parks. So, <laughs> so I found it really engaging. I really did enjoy this book, um, but I, I, I am interested to discuss some of the things that maybe aren't strengths for it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there we go. That's my overall. That's I think that's a good place to be in our overall practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where we're at next. Cool. Well, Jim, uh, well, why don't you take us into some yeah, of those we got specifics? we got characters and places and things. Well, Jim, you brought um, up you brought up. We, we we don't need to take this in any particular order, in my opinion. No. Uh, why don't right. let, let's talk about the the penultimate event, or what's supposed to be the penultimate event, with you know. Aragon facing off against Galvatorix. Well, to me, I thought that was supposed to be the ultimate event. Okay, and and it was so anticlimactic. I mean, here's what Aragon does. He says, okay, you are going... He puts a spell on him so that Galvatorix sees all the suffering he's caused and he feels all the pain that he has caused, and and then Galbatorix basically disintegrates himself with a spell, uh, which took out half the castle, of course, at the same time. But I mean, uh, that wasn't a battle at all. I mean, it was just really, really uh, anticlimactic, and I thought it was it was kind of pale in light of this journey that we've been through through nearly four books that were very very long books i thought it could have been handled better Mm. now so well and, and and i'll add to that it 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 felt like a rush to the end of that story to me it felt like it felt rushed see i I think we have two things here about this to talk about. First, for me, uh, Galbatorix and that whole scenario, for me, I found that very exciting, very fast-paced. I, I, I liked it because the the quickness of it, because it felt warranted for what was happening, because it was building up to this big battle. You know, he fights, he fights Murtag, and you're like, okay, how is he ever going to defeat Galbatorix, and then, and then all of a sudden things kind of like this build up of this very kind of subtle thing about your name changing and that that breaking a spell on you. All of a sudden, like Murtag kind of realizes that he's a different person, and in that moment, the whole battlefield changes, and it's no longer it's no longer Aragon soloing Galbatorix, you know, while his friends are captive. It's Murtag is now able to help, will help and willing to help Aragon defeat Galbatorix, but they have only a split second of surprise to to throw that onto Murtag or to Galbatorix, because when you really think about it, one Galbatorix has control over all magic, so if he's given even a chance to think what's going on, to realize what's going on, he can use the name of the ancient language to stop the name of all. Yeah, the name of all names to, to to stop everything, so they've got to act super fast. And then two, even though Murtag has changed, 
I mean, he's not, he's not a complete new person, so realistically, with Galbatorx already knowing what his name was, he'd only have to figure out what was different about him and then rename him and have him under control. So you've got this super sense of urgency of just like, now is our only chance to do this one thing that we can do to save everybody that we want to save, um, where it, you know, it doesn't get bogged down by, uh, like if the reveal for Murtag was too slow, that could have been a real slog to, to go through. But that kind of like real quick sense there of urgency, they strip, <clears throat> they strip Galbatorix of, of his power real quick. That and you know that's kind of cool to see how he was, kind of almost a shade. He had the, the spirits trapped inside of him, but he wasn't totally possessed by them. Um, you know that kind of stuff was kind of really interesting. And then they, it was it was clever. The I thought it was clever. The, the spell that they put on him to, to punish him without killing him. I mean their objective was always to kill him. But then here in this moment, they find a way to, that's worse than death. Something that's worse than death. Um, which drives him to kill himself with the big explosion. Which I believe, I, I get that the explosion's kind of anticlimactic. I think the real victim of this battle, and this is my second, the second part of this, isn't so much the fight with Galbatorix, because like I said, I was, I, I thought that was, that was, re the reasoning for that rushing made sense. But Shuriken... Not Shuriken, Shuriken. Yeah, Shuriken. Shuriken's battle for his big... I mean, they walk into this room, and sh they think he's a wall. I mean, he's so big, they think he's part of the room. They don't realize that he's even there. And then to be taken out as quickly as he is... I mean, I kind of was getting into the battle of them, you know, the dragons hanging off of his neck and not really doing anything. And then Arya runs up with the Delftet and, and, you know, stabs him through the eye, which... Which was a cool scene, but the build-up for it was very was too quick for that. Like that didn't have as much. I mean, I could have done with like one or two tries of the Delftet, or or just wounding him with the Delftet or something, and then having to go in for the kill or or something. That just seemed a little fast for me. Uh, okay, now see, we're we're at total opposite poles here because I found the killing of uh, of the Galvatorix's dragon, I I found that way better than the Galvatorix. <laughs> See, I, I, I'm kind of... Um, so, uh, my thoughts on this scene with Galvatorix. Um, let's start with my thoughts on Shuriken. I, I, I agree that what I wanted... We saw so many incredible battles with Thorn and, and Sephira, you know, throughout the books. And... We get to see Shrukin fly like the one time mm -hmm. and, you know, breathe fire and impose terror on everyone. And that's it. And uh, Shrukin, I, it was very, it, the death for Shrukin was very anticlimactic for me. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I wanted more. I wanted more from it. Um, but I wouldn't have said that, that being said, when I read the book, until David said something, I wasn't really missing it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't read it and yeah. say, oh, I wish it would have been more Shrukin. I was focused on Galvatorix at that scene and Aragon and Murtak and Thorn. So Shrukin was more just this, like the sidekick that you don't really pay attention to. We don't ever see yeah. Galvatorix really ride Shrukin. Um, and we know that the relationship between Shrukin and Galvatorix is a forced one anyways. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and uh, and uh, it is this has turned Shrukin, at least according to Safira, immensely evil. Yes, oh, and and, for, you know, and also um, who's uh, the um, Glader? So Glader seems to say that there's no redemption for him. Right. So which I think they were kind of hoping for. But all that being said, so that I feel like that was done quickly for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, Jim, how else we would have tackled Galbatorix. Paolini created a villain that had virtually no weakness. Yeah. He created a villain that was the ultimate magic user, was able to manipulate people's reality, um, and convince them that they were seeing things they were not. And there was even the battle with Murtak, like his, his skill as a swordsman and his command of magic. There was just there was no chance. Like when they walk in there with all the elves, and he just like you know just takes care of them with you know basically a word. There's like no chance that these people have against Galvatorix. If you're looking for some like ultimate fight or ultimate battle, um, in this way, this way that is least expected by Galvatorix. They, w- they go in and make him feel all the suffering he has caused over the ages. And that and that became his own living hell. Yeah. Um, and uh, so for me, when I, when, I, when, I, when I read that scene, both times, um, and Galbatorix's realization of all the pain being poured in and him is feeling and experiencing this, breaking through that callousness, and making him realize everything that he'd done and the impact he's had um, felt like incredible justice. Mm-hmm. It would have been it would have been, it would have been almost too merciful to kill Gavatorix, but you make him feel all the pain he's caused over the past one hundred years, and that is incredibly more brutal than a sword fight and death. But... In, my, in my opinion. But where's the background for all this pain and suffering that he caused? What, what do you mean by I that? Mean, you just read three books uh, about it. Well, uh, as far as I can tell, uh, everybody was, was doing their own thing and subsisting in an oligarchy like, like was medieval times. There were really no specific things said that I remember about what Galbatorix did. Uh, other than destroy the riders, well, he ensla- enslaved yeah. everybody. It was it was the riders. Like and... his his army was all everyone everyone in his army was enslaved. Well, he, the town that Aragon was from wasn't enslaved. No, but they weren't in his army. Yeah, and they were. I mean, but even the towns they encountered, towns were under his spells. Yeah, like the leaders were under his spells, and they were sworn oath. He made everyone swear oaths of fealty to him. Now, at the end of the book, Aragon does admit that not everything. Galbatorix did was bad when he's removing his spells. He right. says, like, you know, he found the one spell that the only purpose it served was to make someone's door not squeak. Like, there was a part of Galbatorix that thought he was good and, as a result, did some good deeds. But overall, he was, uh, he was, he put people in slavery. He wanted control. I mean, at the end, his end goal was to remove magic from the world right. unless he allowed it. Which so. is interesting because Naswada kind of takes up that mantra yeah. there and then, um, much to Aragon's kind of chagrin. Yeah. But, you know, it's, 
And so, and even that, the idea of, uh, there is this kind of tension throughout this book, and Roran also kind of echoes it, that magic is extremely unfair yeah. for the common man. And that, that, that there's an, that, that you're kind of like playing with the gods and you're and like there's no chance against them and, and you have this kind of thing going through this so this whole magic versus non-magic isn't totally bad right. uh, and, and the fact that they want to get rid of it or control it or put some stipulations on it isn't necessarily a terrible thing but it may be the way egalitorics went about it making it forced right yeah but but anyway i you know so for me I mean, I looked at everything he did on what Roanoke Island, or what is, I would call it Roanoke. What, what was the island called where all the dragons lived? Oh, yeah, I can't remember the I name. I can't remember the name of it. But uh, but that island and the pain he caused, the elves, the the people that over the years that he enslaved. Dwarves. The dwarves, yeah. The, mean, well, he, the, the um, not the dwarves, the... Uh, the I want to call them Urgles. the Urukai, but the Urgles, yeah. Yeah, he had enslaved almost a yeah. whole culture of people. Right. It, so, yeah. I mean, I think all that was kind of wrapped in that. Yeah. And I'm not sure that we got the full story. Like, we didn't get a huge backstory of everything Galbatorix did. We hear that. Yeah. We hear that through stories that are... And in the, in there's, I think there's one town that they go to, and they talk about how basically he had stripped the town of all of its resources and winter was coming and like yeah. they, they basically he had come in and just taken everything and they didn't have enough food for winter or anything like that so right. but i do hear you jim we don't we don't really get that full backstory but i think for me for, for, for me i got enough of it to say this guy and and the way he treated we really the, the first real picture we get of him is his encounter with naswada and the way oh, yeah. that their relationship plays out, mm-hmm. and that's not a fun relationship at all. Yeah. No. And you know, you know, though, the th- at the same time, switching back to Murtag, uh, did he ever get nerfed in this book? Oh yeah. I oh, mean, my. oh my gosh, what a what a sad situation. I was really expecting some big big stuff from him. Well, when again, I understand like the idea of getting nerfed, but I, I felt like he was one of my favorite characters in this book, and he he was because for the first time, he, as he says, he learned to fight for someone other than himself, mm-hmm. and perhaps that was the most important magic, the most important realization. That he no longer was just fighting to save his own hide, but he was fighting for Naswada and to keep her alive, um, where he actually cared for someone else. And well, be- be- before this book, he was a very, very strong character. And, I mean, he was just like a... Uh, so, by strong, I mean, you're, you're talking about, like, physical, like... Magical strength is that what you're focused on here? Uh, he was scary. Yes, I would agree. He's not and, really scary in, in the first in this book. book. In this book, he wasn't scary to me. I mean, he was a quivering bowl of jello by the end of this thing. Well, yes, but I think that I think that transformation is him realizing and coming to understand that he can't just live for himself. Well, that's part of the whole his his whole being had to, like. He had to change who he was 
to break out of that spell. Oh, That's yeah. not just like part of his characteristic. Like he had to change his core. So it does make sense that he's not. And, and when we the first same encounter person. him in the vault or in the uh, the philosopher room or whatever they're calling the prophet room, what do they call it? It was something room. Yeah, the, the um, what's the name? But I forget. But anyways, yeah. the oracles room or whatever Oracle, they called it. That's it. Uh, no, it wasn't Oracle. It was something else. But I just can't remember it. Um, but when they when they go there, you first encounter he has that mask on, and and we we realize that there Neswata sees a hatred in him. We see the Murtag at the very beginning that we've seen in book two and three. Right. And but 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 we don't. But he's not. He, he changes. He's very dynamic in this book. Um, and we can argue one way or another whether this is a um, whether this is a change we like or is necessary. But this change is what enables him to change the name, as you said. Right. But. Right. Just to go back slightly before we get too too far into things, when we were talking about uh, Shuriken Shuriken's side of things, yeah, and how both of us agreed. It could have been. It could have been more. How how Jim wanted from Galvatorix. Uh, one of the thoughts I had post reading the book was, it again just like with Galvatorix, it couldn't have been more, or it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been plausible. If Shuriken had not been enclosed in a room, if he could have flown away, he would have had too much of a if, too much of an advantage over the other characters. So it made sense to finish him off. In a room where he, you know, he couldn't get away. Yeah. So I guess the question is, maybe I'll pose this for both of you here. Did Christopher Paolini create, through Shirk, through Shrukin and through Galvatorix, two characters that were almost too big? Yes. That maybe, maybe, maybe if you want to fault this, I mean, so he figured out a way to kind of disarm these characters. But, but... But perhaps part of the problem is he's created characters that were just so imposing that they were impossible targets. I think if you look at his writing style throughout, I mean, he was a very young teenager when he wrote the first book. Right. And, I mean, if you talk to, a, you know, an imaginative uh, teenager, like, they're, they're, they can sometimes just continually add traits onto something. And I think... Excuse me. I think when he was creating Galbatorix and, and uh, uh, Shrikin, I think that was he he was doing that. It was like, oh, he's not just evil; he's the most evil. He doesn't just do magic; he does the most magic. <laughs> he doesn't have the dragon; it's the biggest dragon. You know, like that kind of like just throw these things to make him sound worse and worse until you don't even realize that you've created this undefeatable. You create this monster. This, yeah. yeah, but yeah. One thing I want to say, acknowledging Jim's thoughts here, is that I wonder how much of our disagreement isn't necessarily the book and might be culture shock. I mean, that's the wrong word. Where you and I, we read fantasy, and we're used to kind of these... In fantasy books, especially with magic, the anticlimactic ending or the extended... You know, like, like this one kind of has that Lord of the Rings, like, it just, like, takes a while to wrap up. So, like, the actual battle isn't the climax. The payoff is that, you know, four chapters about what happens to all the characters afterwards. 
we're used to that, whereas in sci-fi, that's not necessarily the same type of thing, which is more it's Jim's inter- fans It's base. interesting that you bring up Lord of the Rings. And Jim, this actually goes to your, uh, your thought a bit. Um, we should let Jim talk here, too. Yeah. He's just thinking. But. <laughs> oh, Jim's here? Yeah, Jim's here. Jim's a part of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, that this book has been faulted for being Lord of the Rings-like. And I think in part because of that, but even in Lord of the Rings, when you look at, at Sauron, you create the eye and the ultimate evil that cannot be vanquished. And there's an impossibility. It's impossible to vanquish him. And then you have this you know, lone figure with this ring that we're all hoping gets there. But it's just a simple ring destroying it that blows everything out of the water. It's not totally unlike what we have here in Aragon. Yeah. What, what do you think about what I was saying, Jim? The, the, the differences of... Uh, genre, no, no, no. What do you think about styles. what I was saying, yeah, no. Jim? What do you well, think about? I, no, no, I no. Take, <laughs> I'll take the two things in order. Okay, Scott, <laughs> you said that that about Galbatorix being a big, huge bad guy, and and that made me think. Yeah, maybe I had higher expectations. Maybe my expectations for his defeat were too high because of the buildup that was that that came through all these books. Um, I I I still think it, he he was destroyed way too easily. Okay, um, and as to David, uh, just before you started to say that, I was going to say yeah, it's probably because of my inexperience in the genre that I'm not seeing the point <laughs> here. Yeah. You know, uh, when when I read a sci-fi novel, there is a nemesis and a hero, and the hero blows the hell out of the nemesis, yeah. and that's it. That's the end of the story. And, you know, um, as you say, there's four more chapters of stuff after this. I mean, Galbatorix was gone, and I thought... Yay, I'm done with the book, and I got another 100 pages. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> yeah. I do enjoy those 100 pages, though. Yeah, I think... Personally. I mean, really, I think that that's a, that's very much a fantasy thing that... that that I mean, you see it in other books, oh, but you I see do. it a lot yeah. in fantasy. Yeah. I thought it was very fitting, and maybe maybe this is the deepest feelings that I got from this book, because I thought, okay... Galbatorix is gone. Murtag is has left to go to the north and and pursue his own thing. And now finally, Aragon, Aragon and Arya can get together. <laughs> and they don't. And she goes her way. And Aragon is going to go away and never come back again. Well, was like, but oh, they, okay, well, but that, they, they leave room for fitting. possibility. They leave some possibility there. Well, yeah, the door is still kind of open, but uh, I thought that was a fitting a fitting end to that part of the story. Yeah, I, I mean, I like the way it, it wraps things up really nicely. If we're moving on to that, to just yeah. the, you know, I'll tell you one another thing that infuriated me <laughs> was Islanzadi getting killed. Oh uh, yeah, I liked Islanzadi. I but, did too, but I. But you know Gosh. what? If she wouldn't have been killed, then uh, Arya would not have been made queen of the elves. Right. So, I, yeah. but it, 
But I, but I, Islan Zadi, I was like, seriously, talk about another imposing figure. The guy that's ahead of Galbatorix's army, guy's a beast, yo. Oh yeah. I'm like, whoa, like, like I, like I'm picturing. Um, do you remember at the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring? And, you know, and Agent Smith is there with all the elves, and he's, like, hanging out, and here comes Sauron just taking his big mace and just knocking people left and right. <laughs> this is the guy right here, right? Um, this is, what was the guy's name? I should remember it. I don't. The, the, the head of the army. Uh, that's oh, Sarah doing that. In, in no, 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 no. I'm talking in here. Oh, oh head of oh. Galvatorx's army. Is it Bloodgrom? Uh, no. no, that's Bloodgrom's and Dita. That's not Bloodgrom. It's um, uh, I can't remember. I can't remember. Either. I can't oh, remember his on. name either. Let me just look down through. Da, 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 da. It's not in the list. Um, I'll I'll find it here. Da, 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 da. Um, Rakusia, da, 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 da. Uh, uh, the Varden, but it's attack. Come on. Um, I like the fact that they, that this character, they think he's got this pot belly. And oh, Lauren's yeah. the only one kind of smart to the yeah. fact that it's, you know, he's got an Eldenari in there. Yes. Yeah. yeah and I, so, but, and this is what's really powering him, but I can't remember. I wish you could find the guy's name and. Pete, listeners are there saying it's his name, but I don't know what it is. But I thought that <laughs> he became a very imposing, like, if anything, Jim, there, you might argue that that guy is kind of the Galvatorix you were expecting to see, where he's almost invincible, but Roran gets in there and, like, pries, you know, he pulls an Obi-Wan Kenobi and pries a chest plate off of Grievous so that the, you know, the, the, uh, the heart, the heart of hearts, it you know blows and burns him up, and you know that whole thing. And that was, and it, that that whole scenario was extremely intense, you know. And then Islan Sadi's dub picking his eyes out is just great. Yeah, yeah. That well, yeah. He was definitely, definitely a scary individual. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he and, was. And I don't and, know uh, where. Um, I just don't see the name. I was trying to find the name of that guy, and he's in here somewhere. But anyways. I, it's not. It's not in the list. Yeah, I mean, so that's, I, all, I well, that's all right. There, there are so many. There are so many names. So, so it seems like we've moved into favorite points of plot already. Well, that's all right. We've. Well, didn't we start with the favorite? Your favorite point was the death of Galbatorix. Come on, that was your favorite thing. <laughs> yeah, that was. I was. You were like, yay. <laughs> yeah, but and. Uh, I'll throw in there. I'll well. I'll, I'll throw in there about Naswada. I was absolutely disgusted by her treatment. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. When she's taken, like I knew that. So reading it again, I was like, oh, I got to go through Naswada's torture again. <laughs> and that was this, oh, that was. This is go ahead. This is one of the strongest characters in this entire series. She's brilliant. She's strong, she's brave, she is awesome, and they've got her tied down to a slab, and oh. they and they they expect her, she they expect her to just cave in. She almost does. Yeah. I think it's a real good. But I, if it weren't for Murtag, yeah, I think that I think for me, I really enjoyed that that subplot because it, you got to see Galbatorix doing his thing the thing that you know you were saying what 
what is it that Galbatorx has done wrong? Like, this, what he's doing to Naswada, it's, I mean, it's extended because she's so strong, but this is, like, what he does. So it's talking, that's a physical torture, that's it's power mental gloves, torture. and it's mental torture, and it's... Yeah. And I'm not someone. saying I'm not saying that I dislike this part of the book. I'm just saying it made me angry and right. probably oh, yeah. intended to. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But I'm saying I enjoyed. I mean, I, I enjoyed this because showing that Ooh, side you, of Galvatorix. You sadist! You. Yeah, I just like when people get hurt. <laughs> I knew it, David. Because I knew it. My secret. David is loves the torture thing. Yeah, he's into that whole thing. Uh, <laughs> That's why I never go to his house. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, no. The, the thing about this is, it, it really is, it really shows Naswada's strength through it, yeah, and her determination, and her, and and yes, she gets some help. She gets some help from Murtag toward the end, uh, so that she can stay grounded in reality. But even mm-hmm. when she's dealing with the mental, the mental torture, where she's getting these images and people are coming at her, she sits down and laughs. I'm like, "You go, girl." Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, it's just, yeah. it's just a. Uh, she is. Uh, I agree, Jim, with you that Naswada, hands down, is one of the strongest characters in this entire series. Well, from the from the trial yeah. of the Long Knives. Down through the way she bridges uh, bridges cultures, the way she deals with the different political powers, just an incredible character, hands down. I would have to say one of the strongest characters that I have ever encountered in in a book. I would agree. It's the strongest female characters, absolutely she, incredible. She's got to be. I mean, in story wise. They, he keeps building this character up and he has to, with the end result of her ruling everything, she has to be not only a good leader, but like the strongest leader possible. And you have to believe it to think that she could do it and hold it off. Yeah, I had no trouble believing it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I uh, would agree with that. But I did hate Oric. Or yeah. Orin, not Orin. Or- it was, Orin. Uh, yeah, Orin. Orin. Yeah. Too many O's I, there. I, I didn't hate Oren. I I just thought he was kind of a whiny little yeah. baby, you know. And and they finally threw him a pacifier, and he shut up and went away. Right, right, right. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I agree. He was a character I didn't necessarily care about. Although you know, when we're first introduced to him, I'm interested. He's doing all this science stuff and experiments, but he kind of loses. Steam and becomes very self-centered toward the end. Yeah, that's the best way I can. Well, I mean, his thoughts are rationalized. Oh yeah, and I, I think that that's what Naswada, kind of being the great gal that she is, realizes that what he's saying has merit. He doesn't yeah. outright dismiss it, although the other people would do that. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another thing I really appreciated in this that I didn't previously appreciate, I know you guys like like Solombum a lot. Oh, the werecats in this book were absolutely phenomenal. They were. (laughs) They were so cool. Oh, yeah. And the fact that they could control like like normal house cats and stuff was like totally cool. I think the part Mm. that they really, for, for me, they really showed, and there were many parts that they were absolutely awesome, 
But when they go into the the, the citadel after escaping the uh, the 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 Razak, not the Razak, is it the um, uh, is it the Razak? The uh, the egg pe- the people that were guarding the egg. Uh, yeah, is that the Razak? Yeah. The well, egg? they have Razak eggs. Yeah, so but... like the, the temp that temple, and they're escaping and they're killing the main guy and the and Sullenbums there leaping and tearing. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Yeah, that was one mm-hmm. of my favorite parts with that. Yeah, 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 but. Um, Let's dip into our other hero. We didn't talk about Roran, really. We do got to talk about Roran. Be- before we talk about Roran, though, can we talk about one other aspect that I really loved with the story of Aragon, no, especially? You think this is a podcast? Look, I'm going I'm to talk about it whether you want to talk about it or not. Uh, I love in the end, we talk about Naswada bridging. Aragon does an incredible job at trying to keep peace by granting the dwarves and the Urgles, right, to become oh, dragon yeah. riders. Mm-hmm. I yeah. thought, when that when I saw that developing, I was like, oh, yeah. And that's just incredible. And the the Urgles viewed it as being the greatest blessing. Yeah. And the greatest mm-hmm. thing to keep peace beyond just the Olympic trials that he was going to... That's what I was calling the Olympic trials that Aragon created to keep peace in the Urgles. But beyond that, mm-hmm. like this was just incredible. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and, yeah, and and... In, in order to keep the peace, I think he felt like he ha- had to kind of do that. Right. And I don't think he would have done it had he not seen the potential. Yeah. We, what's what's really beautiful about that is it when, when so he does this whole the the two naked dank, dancing chicks with the dragons in their back, right? Um, he does his whole he he creates a spell out of that and does. And works his spell that is probably, he, he, he at the end says, it's the greatest thing he's ever done. And that, so it's not defeating Galvatorix. It's the fact that he's given every person equal footing in the eyes of being dragon riders. Mm-hmm. And even Sephira, yeah, and even Sephira says that the Urgles will make good dragon riders. Right. I thought that was incredible. So this will kind of level the playing field and not allow another uh, Galbatorix thing to happen. Well, true, yeah. but remember they later said there are evils greater than Galbatorix in the world. Yeah, we've only got to remember that we don't we haven't explored the whole world. This is one continent, and we see echoes of that here and there, like the creature yeah. from the sea that rises up the snap, Sephira. Right. And how they came from somewhere else, but moreover, how Aragon leaves to go somewhere else, yeah, to another world, another continent, another another place, but yeah, which I thought was a, the best way to uh, remove him from being a power struggle piece. Well, he would be. He'd be there, and he'd be like, and we're like, oh, Aragon, that's what Aragon, yeah. you know, be even though they have a very amiable relationship, it wouldn't, it would never. But he was sworn to too many people. You know what I mean? Like, he, he would have too many people calling on him for petty things that he would simultaneously be worthless, but at the same time be way too too powerful of a piece. Like, whoever's well, court he was in would automatically win yeah. whatever they were doing. When it was, when it was discussed in the, uh, oh, in that, in that tower room, who was going to lead? Oh, yeah. Aragon was being considered... Uh, Roran was being considered. I mean, there could have been one one heck of a power struggle there. Oh yeah. Fortunate, fortunately, um, 
Aragon said no way. Roran was was not even qualified, and the, it came down between Orin and uh, Naswada, and of course the obvious choice is Naswada. Right. Well, and Orin doesn't have much of a have a, a voice when every single alliance is lining up against <laughs> with, with, with Naswada's side in that. Yeah. Right. But I agree. So let's. I, I'm okay with let's shift gears and let's talk about Roran like he wanted to talk about because. Wow, talk about a dynamic character in his own right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, if anything, I felt like they, they toned down Roran a little bit in this book. Not like his abilities, but just how much time they spent on him. Yeah, uh, less time in Roran in this book. Yeah. However, all of the backstory from all the other stuff continued to pay off in him. Well, now, this in this book, if I'm correct, do we get Roran going to that town... And taking over that town with the barges going down the canal. Yes. Oh, so that is yeah. his book. I couldn't remember. That's at the beginning, toward the beginning of his book. Right. So for me, there were two. There are two points that Roran shines for me, and it is number one his his attack and taking out of that city. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite scenes is when the army's coming out to greet to 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 come toward the camp, and he makes everyone hide, and he's sitting there playing with bones. I thought that was an incredible fun scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that. I also like when he's almost assassinated in his tent. Oh, yeah. And yeah. he's like stabbed. Uh-huh. And he's really wounded real bad. He doesn't realize it. That's a part that made me cringe, too. Yeah. Like, yeah, anyways. Um, but that whole scene was great. And then obviously when he's attacking the, the, the big bad, you know, general of Galvatorix's army. Those two things are the things that for me that really made War shine in this book. Yeah, and you I mean you got to see his motivations for stuff really didn't change much. It's just Katrina and now now a baby. I didn't really feel like the baby. Not that it didn't add anything, but it wasn't really like a super powerful thing for me. Just for his character, he already had the motivation for her, so it was kind of like it. right. Yeah. So, what do you think of Roran? He's he's our he's our favorite. Uh... Reluctant warrior. <laughs> oh, that's a good way who, of putting it. Who goes out and does does the job that he has to do uh, the best way he can possibly do it. Um, uh, he is definitely, probably, I would have to say, my favorite character in 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 all the books. Um, because all he wanted to do was live his simple life and farm. And have his family and and not be involved in all this stuff, but he knew that in order for him to have that life, that he had to fight for it. Right. right. And yeah. and he did, even though he didn't want to fight, he didn't enjoy killing. He still did what he needed to do, uh, to make the world a better place for himself and his family. And it, it really does come down to Roran really kind of being very in tune with the people from his from his village. He's very in tune with that, and perhaps nothing says that better than is what, when they're leaving wherever they're at um, to go up to the city of the elves, and the lady that has a blood price on uh, on Roran comes up and demands a blood price, and uh-huh. uh, and out of respect for the culture, he honors that. And he wouldn't have. There were plenty of guards that could have stepped in, and you know, Aragon could have done his thing. Right. And he he says no, 
in the culture we grew up in, this was a tradition and the way we handled things. And he was willing to honor that. And, oh, yeah. He, and, he and, was going to take whatever whatever he was going to get. Yeah. And so, uh, and that is, that that's so telling. Like, that event tells the heart of Roaring for me. Mm-hmm. It, 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 yeah. you know, it, it expounds on that for me. Right. He, right. he is he is probably the most honorable character in this book. Yes, or in all the books, actually. Yeah, I would say that more honorable than than I would say even Aragon. Although I liked Aragon and then uh, then uh, than, than Naswada even. Yeah. He there's something about him that he just is definitely he's not fighting for any sort of gain. Right. I would argue that even though we spend most of our time, almost all of our time with Aragon, and we're meant to relate and experience this world primarily through Aragon, that I would say by the end, especially the second book, Roran becomes the everyman more than Aragon. I was just going to say that. The thing that about Roran that, that I think I love so much is he is just... There's nothing magical about him. Yeah. Yes, he's incredibly strong, and I'm not convinced that there's something there because he seems to be able to do an awful lot. Right. But he really is just a strong person. Fantastical things happen to him without him becoming fantastical. He always remains you. Right. And you could you you quote could be that person in the same situation. Right. Aragon. By the end of the first book, and especially the second book when Roran really takes off, Aragon becomes less and less who you could be. Right. Who you can, especially once he, yeah. he's transformed into a half elf or whatever. Right. And really, Roran takes that role for you yeah. as a reader. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, you know, I, I hear it, and I think that for me, uh, Roran, you know, this is the he, he is the ultimate knight. He fights mm-hmm. for love, he fights for honor, and he fights for his family. I mean, he's just right. a, you know he does, you know, and and there's and if 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 what he does somehow protects Katrina better, then he is doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, he's for sure ahead. the character I related to the best. Well, it's it's no wonder. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. One side thing about Roran before we depart and talk maybe about some other characters. I love the scene when we get to City of the Elves and Katrina's father gets to see them dancing. Oh, yeah. I thought it was one of the most beautiful things that Aragon gave Sloan. Still couldn't huh. see him, still couldn't talk, but that was, that was a very touching moment. And Sloan even acknowledges that. And there's a little bit of redemption. Like, Sloan, even though he's a very minor character when you look at the books as a whole... He has, he has, in a sense, repented. He acknowledges about how happy they are together. Well, his spell won't break until, like, Murtag, his self changes. And I think without this... What do you mean, Murtag? Well, both Murtag and, uh, what's-his-face, the, the butcher. Yeah. Both had spell, both were enslaved by their true name. Right. Aragon used what's Sloane's true that's name. That's a true point. To so ins- until ins- Sloane's true name changes. Yeah, well, that's what he, he and he. T- 
in the book that he does it, he, he you know said to the reader, he didn't tell Sloane, but if he can change his name, he'll be released from the spell, and the elves would restore his eyes. Oh, that's right, they do say that. And, but he could never leave, no matter what, he could never leave Dweldenvarden, but if he could change himself, then potentially he could see, right. you know, see his his daughter again. Uh, I, in this case, he sees it, but not... But I, I would argue without Aragorn's mercy, because he realizes how harsh it was, and he performs the act of mercy. But how harsh it was to bring the kids there. Yeah. And he could hear them but not see them. And how cruel that was, unintentionally. Right. I would argue that without that mercy, Sloane did not have, would not have had the capacity to make that change eventually. Yeah, I can see that. I don't think that, I don't think that his character didn't have any, pretty much any growth at all until that point. So, yeah. so Jim, what other uh, characters or points of plot do you want to talk about here? Uh, well, just to add to add to the Sloan thing, uh, I thought that he. At first, I was very angry at him, and then, I thought his punishment. Was a little over the top, and and I really I was really very happy about, Aragon reversing some of that and relieving some of his pain because I think that Sloane suffered way more than he should have. They should he should have either been killed or or just or banished. Right. Well and so, I think he is bad he is kind of banished. Bad. But um yeah. I think what made it extremely cruel was the fact that they brought the kids to yeah. Where it was, and so I was glad to see this. What I was glad to see. And you got to remember that Sloan Sloan's betrayal resulted in the death of several people that yeah. he knew, including the kidnapping of his daughter. As as much as he thought it would, you know, he did it to save her and to 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 protect her. It resulted in tons of horrible things happening to other people, and mm-hmm. including his daughter and himself. So, yeah. but blinding him and and blinding him and and making him well he was already blind suffer like that was was way over the top i mean that that's like beating somebody to within an inch of their life you know you get yeah, now but he, he was he was that that, that wasn't that wasn't aragon's doing though aragon didn't make him blind the razak ate his eyes yeah oh yeah so i i think that his punishment was just up until they got until he brought them there i think yeah. that's mm-hmm. that's what put it over the top yeah yeah. So. Uh, what about uh, let's talk about the Vault of Souls? Okay. Well, that, that whole uh, the whole the way that entire thing plays out. So we get these two cryptic messages from Solomon. One that you'll find this, you know, silver or whatever it's called under the tree, and the second one you you'll find in the Vault of Souls. And then we get this cryptic message that kind of points to the page and the development or whatever it's called uh the book uh that kind of points in the right direction uh, going to the dragon island and experiencing the vault of souls was a pretty phenomenal book for me well, part of the book for me uh, i love the fact that you get to see a dragon in a mech suit 
Yeah. You know, he can come out, you know, like, I'm like, oh, see? Yeah. And, like, the, the whole heart of hearts is, like, all, like, wired into this thing. And it's, like, it's like technology, right? Um, and you get to see kind of a foreshadowing. So the way Galvatorix goes out by blowing himself up, very, I mean, that's what happened on the island. And, uh, but that whole thing, I, I, I just liked, I liked that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you had this huge revelation that there are, a tons of eggs that have been set aside and preserved, and all these heart of hearts that have also been the, you know, the Adonari that have been set aside and protected. Mm-hmm. And the tease of there being some sort of people on the island as well. But you don't know what they do. Yeah, so, they are never. That's not never answered. Uh, yeah, it's one of the one of the unanswered questions. Unanswered but. things. I I thought that was great. I think the 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 coolest thing about it was the the erasure of it. Like, you spent all this time discovering it, and then they only remember as much as they can take with them. You know? Right, well, they can't remember, and they can't remember anything until, uh, like, they, they can't remember the eggs even exist after the destruction right. of the Taurus. Right, and I, I mean, everyone forgets. I think that's, even the Aldenari they take with them. Right. So. So, that's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. That's powerful magic. Yeah, yeah that's the whole, like, name above names yeah. that they use to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the the heart, the uh, Vault of Souls, Jim? Uh, yeah, to me that part was just kind of meh. It was there. <laughs> it was there. Uh, I mean, well, the interesting I mean, thing though, what do you think about the fact that of all the books, this is one with dual titles, and that dual title is the Vault of Souls. Do you think it was? Well, a- I I didn't think that. I I thought. I don't know, understand why that would be an alternate title because it just didn't play that big a part um, in the whole thing. Uh, in right. in my mind, anyway. I just thought, oh, well, okay. It's a place to go um, while so, for, something for Aragon to do while everybody's getting ready to attack um, Galbatorix. You know, and they had to make this fake Aragon to keep from them getting attacked and all that. I just I I didn't see the reason for it. Mm. The what I did find interesting though was that they had to do a lot of introspection to find their true names in order to open the thing. Right. 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 They had to be like very honest with who they really were. Interesting. Yeah, I got a lot of mixed feelings about this. Um <laughs> You know, getting there was like, I don't know, what was it, like like about 400 pages of flying through this storm and over the water and oh, all this stuff. And 400 like, pages. Maybe a little bit of hyperbole there, Jim. I'm just saying. For, okay, 350. For crying out loud, just get there and do it, okay? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and these weird, weird snails. Oh, dude, Killer Snails. That's like the perfect B movie from the 50s. <laughs> and, and you know, and it's like, okay, then the, those bugs. Oh, Spree that's Scar. where Galbatorix got the bug. Uh, um, yeah, the so, what? Yeah. so what? So <laughs> what? I think this might be a sci-fi f- fantasy trope thing as well as before. I mean, the, the whole side quest thing is a very fantasy it is, yeah. but there is a sense. Well, of, is. There is a sense of self-discovery that, as as we're talking about it, both Aragon and Sephira 
you know, kind of gain through this. And this idea of, I mean, without all the Eldenar, they they certainly gained another advantage going in against Agalbatoric. So it does add to that. Could it have been shortened? Maybe. I don't know. And they intertwine other things in that too, though. Isn't that, there's a lot of Naswada stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, it's not just that. I mean, you're bouncing between storylines yeah. here. Well, see, that now I, I see students at school all the time carrying around these fantasy books, and none of them weigh less than 25 pounds. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> all right. And and I don't know. Maybe maybe it's a fantasy thing to just over-explain this stuff, and and you've got to have every every last little detail. Whereas in science fiction, if someone gets irradiated, you really don't care how the radiation was created at the Big Bang. Right. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> you, you just know. It's true. It's yeah. true. You know, and, and I think, you know, and, and you're right. I mean, and I blame J.R. Tolkien for that because he does talk about the master over explaining. Um, I, I absolutely love Lord of the Rings. It's one of the greatest trilogies and actually, I guess, single books of all time as well. But there's no doubt that he takes a lot of time explaining his world. Yeah. And he, he has become the, for better or worse, maybe worse in the case of what Jim's saying here, but he's become kind of the blueprint of, here's how we do a fantasy novel, Game of Thrones. Uh, you know, here we have Aragon and, uh, you know, and, and other fantasy series that kind of play out that's absolutely, you know, these beautifully lavished worlds that we create and explain. I think some of it has to do with, like, mm. a lot of times... In, in, in Even the Wheel of Time series, 14 books that tell a story, and it's, uh... Wow. Yeah. A lot of, I mean, I think a lot of time, like, in, in, in a sci-fi book, you'll, you'll... It's built on things you know, and then expanding. Whereas with a fantasy book is often... Is often all new exploration. Uh, like, it's... It's oh. so new, it's, it's, it's you know... For more. world building, or I, I could even say universe building, it's an incredible piece. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, all four of these books. I mean, because you start out very, very small, and you start to spread out and spread out and spread out, and you get, you get this huge picture of this living place. Right. And and some, all these some parts where I was listening different... to the book, I actually. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, and and all these different people and different kinds of people with uh, with all their own cultures and their own everything uh, it it's it's really amazing that someone could do that because I know I couldn't yeah there's no doubt that he's absolutely Paolini has created an incredible world and it's it's, it's no wonder that you know he's he's put so much work in developing that it's no wonder that he wants to go back and revisit this yeah sometimes uh what I, what I was about to say was that the, the world building was so enticing at parts, especially in, in this last book. There were sections of the book where I just opened up the map of Alaglesia. And, like, when I was listening to the book, like, I would just kind of stare at the map and, and listen to what they were talking about. Especially, like, the final couple chapters where they're crossing the country and leaving. Like, I was watching, like, they were naming the places and I'm looking at them on the map and watching the looking at the way that, that he describes that the, the river bends and how it bends on the map and like and how they hit the cities. Yeah, that, I, that, that visualization was really cool. Well, you know, and I, and I love that you go, you get, you get, 
you get a flyby of every place we kind of visited. Mm-hmm. And that was very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but... Uh, so, yeah. Are there any other characters we... We didn't really talk about Arya that much. Or Aragon and Saphira, but at the same time... Well, we did, kind of in the context of everything. I don't know that these characters change all that much in this book. You're just running on established stuff here. Uh, yeah. Aria a little. Aria yeah, uh, a little, because she becomes queen, and then she ends up getting her own dragon, and that's kind of very cool. And, and she also... And, and, her, and her dragon is fear shack up, you know, see that yeah. happening. And Yeah, well, and then, and then of course, with Aragon, he'd have been nowhere without Glader and Umaroth. Oh, right. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah Glader, Glader, absolutely. This book... Talk about a character that I that I liked in this book was Glader, you know, as a heart of hearts, and you know when he's yeah. teaching, when he teaches like Aragon to truly see who he's fighting, mm. and um, and just that whole thing was pretty pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I like how he kind of comes out of the shell, so to speak, where he's like really grumpy, and then turns out to be this really cool like yeah. uh, guiding figure for him. But a guy, but but wants vengeance. Kill him! Kill him now! Yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, you know, and he was he was silent until he was needed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Very true. Uh, before we move on, the, the biggest thing about Arya, I think that uh, for me was her change of heart towards Aragon, and how, although they don't have an explicit like "I love you" thing, it definitely she no longer is exclusively shutting him down she becomes kind of like open to the idea of them and them being together but because he's going away why start why start it well and she has her responsibilities right 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 yeah yeah i don't know so uh the uh what are the other points of the book or other plot points or characters that we should address here or you feel like we've done a decent job at it? I think I, I think, think we've, we've done a good. Done all right. uh, there was a complaint. I was reading like some of the criticism on the book, and th- this book, when it came out, kind of received mixed to negative reviews. Criticized because unresolved plot threads, which mm-hmm. Paolini acknowledges and says, well, these could be room to explore them in future books, mm-hmm. right? Um, and also faulted because of being derivative characteristics of Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, and heavy use of the the, the Deus Ex Machina. Um, and I think like the Douth Dare, a sword that could kill a dragon. Right. Uh, in fact, one of the most powerful images of the book is when, uh, is it Arya or Glader is talking about the use of the Douth Dare and how in the day it rained blood of dragons when they were using these Douth Dares. Mm-hmm. Is that right? I think Glader's talking about Glader's it. talking. It was pretty in pretty intense but what do you think about that do you did do, do you what were there too many loose threads that you uh wished were tied up or did you feel like that the most important ones were tied up and if there were loose threads which threads would you do you wish were tied up jim mm, I, I thought everything that was important what was was had closure okay um, but let's say you had yeah. a, a thread that you would like to, oh, you were kind of curious about seeing what happened. What would that be? Um, well, let me think. 
for a second here. Uh, I guess I would like to know... Well, I, I can't think of anything. Oh. Seriously. Uh, yeah, how about, how about you, David? Well, the biggest thing for me is what the Manoa tree took from him. Exactly. That yeah. was the one I wanted. And he goes back to the Manoa tree, and the Manoa tree is kind of size and these like, Eric got all confused because he, she already took whatever it was. Right. I don't know what that was because it's kind of briefly over, but I was curious of that as well. I know that uh, Christopher said that will be explored at a later time. That it's, right. That's why there's loose threads. Yeah. But for me, that's like, that's the biggest thing I want to know about. Everything right. else is kind of like, you could learn more about what happens to Naswada and the Varden, and you could learn more about new riders, and, or you could do stories about Aragon and his new place, I guess that could be cool too, but like of all of those things, the most interesting, unresolved thing is what happened there. Yes, yes. I... I'll tell you what, I don't think Paolini's going to write another book. He doesn't need to put another word on paper. He's set for life. <laughs> he's he, a, he, well, he's definitely there, but, uh, you know... I think he's, he's almost done a sci-fi one. Almost done with a sci-fi one, and uh, what was I reading just here? Uh, he said, um, um, I saw a... Uh, since the series, here, here's what this uh, one site says. Since the release of Inheritance, Paleen has expressed his future interest in expanding upon Alagazia and the Inheritance Cycle. In an interview, he talked about the potential Book 5, a prequel centering on Brahm, and said that he had planned around seven more stories set in Alagazia, and one of those was, in fact, a series. I'd read it. Uh, about yeah. Brahm. And I tell you what, when they yeah. go back to visit Brahm, and he's toying with the idea of bringing Brack back to, Brom back to life part of me was saying do it do it you know? <laughs> because he's I love Brom's yeah. character yeah, it was great I'd read it yeah. So, <laughs> yeah so despite your complaint about how long this book was if there was a five to six hundred page book of Brom you would read it sure yep there we go you got it so Paolini get right on that Jim needs another book to read I, I, I mean I just <laughs> want to say our first step in converting Jim is is well made yes yes he has begun his path down to the dark we, side. All we need now is a 700-page side story that doesn't resolve to anything. <laughs> and we'll have you set. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yeah, where, where the character blows himself up. No, yeah, yeah, well, you know, we can, we, we can take care of that. But, uh, <laughs> so, quotes. Anyone get any quotes for this book? Yeah. Uh, no. No I, I, I got I got one I got a couple here. Can I sure. Share? Go, go so uh, Aragon wonders at one point, why does everything have to be so hard? And Safira says, because everyone wants to eat, but no one wants to be eaten. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, no, we didn't we didn't discuss themes at all. No, we didn't. I guess. No. Um, you know, I think good versus evil. I think yeah. is pretty obvious. Yeah. And then we have the unrequited love Which, between Ar Aragon and Arya. But he, he kind of resolves that, though. It, it's unrequited, but then by the end, she's on board. Yeah, but then they have to go their separate ways, and that's very sad. Right. Right. Uh, the knowing oneself as a theme. This is yeah, something I thought about true. earlier. He treats these your true names 
it's funny because they talk about how you should never share it with anyone or you know unless it's this really important thing it's almost like it, when Arya and him switch it's almost like a vow of, of like marriage. marriage yeah it is yeah yeah between the two of them you, mm-hmm. you know um but one thing I thought was really interesting in recollection is we never hear anyone's true name except for yeah. I think you get some of Sloan's but Aragon, it's never shared with the reader. All we know is that it exposes everything about who he is. The good, the bad, the ugly. You Which see I, th- I thought was interesting because essentially, Pale, like if, if you look at this, you know, theoretically outside of, outside of just in the story, Paolini knows the na- their, their true names and has the power over the characters. And as much as me, we might identify and enjoy these characters, we don't have the power over these characters. He, only he does, because he's got their their name. I thought that was do a, you, a cool thing. Do you think maybe there's maybe a little sub-message there for we as readers that we need to think about what our true names are? Yeah, and that maybe, the, yeah. maybe our power comes in being able to honestly look at who we are and be able to acknowledge I mean, this, that. Nobody can tell you what your true name is. They may be able to figure it out, but they can't tell you what it is. You have to discover that on your own through very deep introspection. So let's take this even further. They can tell when, you what it is. When, when, when Aragon faces Galvatorix, the thing that he makes Galvatorix do is to understand. Yeah. And to acknowledge what he has really done. So in a sense, to see who he truly is. Mm-hmm. And so this parallels this idea of a true name. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, just to, you said that no one can tell you what it is, but I mean, that was kind of... Maybe I'm not thinking about it the way that you are, but the, that was part of Galbatorix's strength was his ability to discern people's true names and then and then use that against them so right. uh he but but he had the he had the the tools of magic to help right. him with that right yeah. even we, even we don't even when Arya and Aragon are battling each other and Glader's helping mm-hmm. and Aragon says to Arya I see you yeah. it's not just he really sees who she really is not what he wants her to be but who she truly is, right. and that's the thing that gives him the advantage in battle. Yeah. So that that I like that. That's a very much a theme in this book. And, a trope. And yeah, and it's it's harking back to when he's fighting Murtag, and he tries the same thing, and he's like, "This is not the same guy that I know. I don't. Essentially, I don't see him. Right. You know, and that's why he's losing. Yeah. So let's move on to I guess to our closing thoughts here. Um, okay. uh, Jim, what are some things um, to just wrap up your your thoughts on the book that you'd want to say, and then uh, how would you rate this book? Okay. Um, well, I, I'm kind of thinking of it more of a complete series of books, which which I enjoyed. But they are just so darn long. I mean, 
sit down on a Sunday and read for four hours and say, okay, I've made a dent in this thing. And, <laughs> you know, I still got 16 hours in this book to go. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, um, it's a love-hate kind of thing. I, I enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the characters. I enjoyed the the action and all the all the little subplots and everything. But I think it could have been done. I guess I should say more efficiently. Okay. All right. Well, how would you rate the book? Uh, this book, uh, I would say four. Okay. Scott? So, you know, I agree with with Jim as far as the overarc of the series. It is... The efficiency, the length didn't bother me. In fact, it gave me immense pleasure to know that I spent my Audible credit and got like... 50 gazillion hours of reading, you know, so, so, so from, from, from the economic side of things, I really, you know, I really enjoyed it. No, uh, but I really enjoyed the story and both this story and Brissinger, I read twice because of the podcast, because I was reading ahead and getting ahead of myself, but I really enjoyed the series. I enjoyed the characters and did feel a sense of loss when we got to the end. Like, somehow I was going to miss seeing these characters. Um, I don't know what I rated the other books. Uh, I don't know that I would rate this one a five, but I'll give it a four and a half. Okay. Four and a half on it. And and I don't know. There is there is some fault in it, but I, I don't, they're not much. And I think that it's basically that is there anything I think that we we see here that Paolini has created characters that might be too too large, mm-hmm. too insurmountable, so that when we do take them down, eh, maybe the little bit of a there's a little bit of criticism that the the way they're taken down is kind of a, almost too convenient. Mm-hmm. So, four point five out of five. Okay, um, man, I. I want to say that this is a very well done finale to a story. Yes. I like this book a lot as an ending. I like um, the climaxes. I like kind of, it's not, it's got more to it than just strict wrap up. Um, I I, I like that aspect of it. I I personally, when I, when I finished the, the end of Galbatorix, like Jim, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much left. Like, what's going on? But then I think I wound up enjoying that end stuff so much. I just, it was well done. It, it was great payoff. Um, it really wrapped up the characters in ways that I, I enjoyed um, and felt they deserved, uh, while also not just, you know, ending them forever. It wasn't a happy ever after, but it wasn't a downer. Like, it was kind of the middle length. It felt very. It felt very, for you know, lack of a better term, real. Like, this is what life would be. You know, we went through Aragon's um, ideas of, of, you know, what is my life now without all of this craziness that we just spent all these times reading. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed that aspect of the, of the closed down. Um, 
uh, obviously I'd recommend it because I recommended it here and got you guys to read it, but uh, I'm going to give this book a four because I, I agree that it, it has flaws. Um, I don't think it's as good as Brissinger. Um, I'll agree with Jim that it's long. It's uh, too long. It, it could have maybe... They could have, he could have added stuff and made it two books, you know, I think, and still, and still been, uh, more, he, two smaller books, not like two giant, giant books, but he could have done two smaller books and, and kept it a, a satisfying tale with, uh, the addition of stuff. I mean, you could struggle with fatigue there as well, but anyway, uh, so well, four out of five for me. And, and I read somewhere, I'm getting pulled back again. Uh, I read somewhere that this was intended to be a trilogy and Brissinger was starting to get way too long and too involved, so he decided to add that four book. Yeah, so what, the reason book. the reason he added the fourth book was because uh, I, he, he, I heard him talk about it in an interview here. He, the, the scene with Sloan, when he decided not to kill Sloan but to deal with Sloan and how he dealt with them and how they escaped the Razak. When that storyline developed like that, it instantly pushed the current book he was working on too long and he had to split it. And I think that's where the, that's why the split occurred. According to him. I think it worked, except for he kind of did the same thing again. Yeah, he kind of made it long. Yeah. Time, but, <laughs> yeah. So it didn't really shorten that bit. Right. Right. Well, great. I mean, that was our discussion on yeah. Inheritance or uh, Vault, The Vault of Souls by Christopher Paolini. Um, we had fun doing this, of course. Now we're on to new things. So, we had a poll up, and you guys voted. Our next book is going to be Fahrenheit 50, 451 by Ray Bradbury. And that is uh, Jim Wins This Month. I, I know that he told me he was going to throw a party he later was. to celebrate. Yes, yes. Uh, lots of dancing, loop playing and stuff. So uh, congratulations, Jim. <laughs> yeah, uh, okay. What a, uh, how do you feel? Tell us how you feel. Speech, yeah, speech. Yeah, speech. Speech, speech, <laughs> So you obviously, oh, you, you, you're the one that's been wanting to read this book. Tell, tell us, you know, about. Why? Yeah, why? Why? Well, because of the movie. <laughs> I, I kind of enjoyed the movie. I, I, well, I, I'll just, I'll just say I enjoyed the movie, and and I just like would like to see how uh, different the film is, or the the book is from the film. I like Ray Bradbury stuff, and I like classic sci-fi, and this is one that I've never read. Um, so you know, I just, I just put it out there thinking that maybe there'd be people that agree with me and obviously there's a lot of people with taste out there so they oh it, wow it, is that or was it fatigue from yeah. four months of of Aragon of, of, of no, don't let David choose a book again yeah <laughs> 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 cool well that's our next one now we got some great suggestions from you guys on books and uh, if you head on to the website and go to, to, to help us decide uh, uh, just what we read next page where you'll see the poll for the following month um, there's a little button you can click to uh, 
email us um, and you can give us your suggestions of books. We had several this month, several great ones. So rather than come up with our own, uh, our own books, we each decided to pick one of the books that was recommended uh, to put as our vote for this one. And, and then, then Jim put in one of his, yeah. Yeah, and then, well, yeah, but we, uh, there's also a new book came out that we thought would be should be good to put up there. So uh, the new book is Artemis by An- Andy Weir. Oh, yeah, so writer of The Martian. It is his new book. Very right. excited about it. So there's a lot of buzz about this, so we wanted to make sure that that was there for you guys in case you wanted us to read something, like, fresh off the press. Um, and then let's just go around and see what you picked from everybody. Go ahead, Scott. I did um, the name of the win from the King Killer Chronicles by Patrick Roethlisberger. Yeah. Absolutely a phenomenal. I did read this one before, but I would be excited to read it again because it was good. Yeah, it is written so uniquely and so beautifully. So that's my vote. So please vote for the King Killer Chronicles. If you really have taste, <laughs> you will vote for this book. My best friend Chris Halls bought me this book one year for my birthday and has been trying to get me to read it for five years and uh when this was suggested by i think joseph demi my response was i think you're chris hall's favorite person now because yes, well, he wants true. me to read this book chris hall is so, taste at least some of your friends have taste yeah, yeah i mean i'm like that jim guy but uh, <laughs> so jim which, which book did you choose uh, a Pebble in the Sky by Isaac Asimov. I thought another uh, classic to put out there. Yeah, so Jim's our classic, classic man. Yeah. Um, and I got to say, even though I'm suggesting a book, I might vote for one of the other ones just because there's some good ones on here. Yeah. And, and, and uh, the one that I picked uh, was suggested was Battlefield Earth by L. Ron Hubbard, which is my favorite book of all time and we know that i love dune and i rate this above dune as a single book wait a minute wait a minute you you like this even more than the hitchhiker's guide it's scary right (laughs) that is flipping amazing i know i mean i mean seriously i mean i mean even even though john travolta's in the book you still like (laughs) battlefield earth like if you go to my house there's of course a shrine to new york 20 2024 right right but, right uh, <laughs> right above that is right, but... my battlefield earth <laughs> that's pretty amazing right over the top of david's front door it says don't panic right right <laughs> and you walk in there's a huge cardboard cut out of marvin in the corner so. right right yes hey but... would you like a pangalactic gargle blast yeah yeah here here's a towel <laughs> battlefield earth was my first and maybe my only book that i read so much it fell apart and continue to read until somebody until somebody replaced it for me. So, <laughs> so you uh, mean it fell apart you know, plot I, wise? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the book is way different David, than the movie. So I was David. I'm going to I'm going to admit that I have seriously thought about picking this one up many times in the past. It's. I mean, it's. I won't say that it's a masterpiece, but I do love this book a lot so no there you go yep so that so that those things will be up on the uh, poll on the website uh, orbitalsword.com yeah uh, so make sure to head over there and, and check that out 
uh, when this episode goes up. Also, you know, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Orbital Sword. You can find us on Twitter, Orbital Sword. Not much going on there, but we are there. We are uh, there. <laughs> the, the shows at least get posted. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Patreon, of course, if you'd like to help support the show. Absolutely. We greatly appreciate uh you know, if you want to throw us a dollar a month, yeah. that's that's a dollar a month we didn't have before. So, right, right. Uh, At Facebook, we interact with Facebook probably a bit more than anything else. Yeah, we're pretty quick to respond on messaging and stuff there. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, we'll interact with you. Check out our website. Our website's pretty, pretty dynamite thanks to our <laughs> website master and guru, David. I'm still working on it. So if you see things moving around, that's me kind of playing. You know, I got playing. 20 minutes here or there. I'm just trying to make it work, yeah, yeah. work the way that we need it to work. So. Yeah. And don't forget to pick up your copy of Fahrenheit 451. Oh, yes. That's right. That's right. After you're done reading it, you can burn it. Yeah. yeah. It makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> I mean, after all. <laughs> well, my question is, if if books burn at the temperature of 451, what what, what temperature do, do Kindles burn at? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, you can. Like, it has to be hotter, though, to melt the plastic, I would, I would, right? I would think so. Yeah. Think well... So. Jim probably knows because he reads so fast. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. On, his, on his on his Kindle, Kindle on his just, Kindle, it burns yeah, up. Yeah, That's what yep. I heard. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he goes through a like an eight hundred page book like so tomorrow, I know, Sunday he, afternoon. Sunday afternoon. That's what he said. Sunday yeah, afternoon. I, I heard it straight from before loot practice. That's right. Yeah, maybe yeah. during loot practice. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Lately, the way things are going, reading the books are a lot more interesting than watching the Packers. Oh, uh, boy. And uh, that's for the Packers podcast with Wayne and Troy. Yeah. And I so, think they'd agree with me. Yeah. Probably <laughs> oh, but those Steelers are looking pretty hot right oh, now. Oh, man. When the sports balls go flying. And the, it's time and the to wrap goals. up the show. Yeah. We should wrap this up before we get too sidetracked here. All right. Once again, for the Orbital Sword, I'm David Moulton. I'm Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And join us next time on board the Orbital Sword. And Mishaya Lou clears the path for you. Except on Tuesday. 